Think sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The first announced witness of the 116th Congress is Michael Cohen. The guy sits in prison today for lying to Congress. And now we got John Dean. The last time I appeared before your committee was July 11, 1974, during the impeachment inquiry of Richard Nixon. Clearly, I'm not here today as a fact witness. And now coming in to enlighten the Judiciary Committee on Obstruction of Justice. I actually wrote a book about Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney with the title, Worse Than Watergate. We would all do well to remember, if they can do it to a president, imagine what they can do to you and me. Imagine what they can do to regular citizens across this great country. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the program. We have John York, PhD, with us this hour. He's going to talk about the Electoral College and everything that we're seeing with the Democrats trying to subvert it. Um, He's such an expert. It's always great to have him on the show. We will also continue to take calls. Um, Just as a side note, did you hear those congressional ingrates, AOC and Ilhan Omar and others, they're proposing an additional pay raise for congressional members you know they already make 174 178,000 if they're in leadership they get an extra 25 or so for that what is the, what, what is with these people they're, they're anyway I say they no they can't get it what what we should do is we should change it so that Congress can't get a pay increase unless it goes to an to the vote of the American people and it would be put on um, with the presidential election so they couldn't get a raise but every four years, and the American people had to vote on it. Imagine how they would behave if that were the case. <laughs> Instead, they get to vote a pay raise for themselves. They just bring it up, and then if leadership thinks it's okay, they vote on it, and they always say yes to themselves. Fantastic. All right, let's go to the phones, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Robert in Indiana, hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hi, Stacey. Um the rainbow has seven colors, including indigo and violet, but this quote-unquote pride flag has six colors. They substitute um, purple, <clears throat> so it's a counterfeit. It's also the number of man. So, um, yeah, if I were probably one of those people asked about pride month, I would say I celebrate humility. But once you realize you have humility, it means you lost it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. The, if, if you're running around saying you're humble, you're not. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Um, it's interesting that you when you're describing the flag, you're saying it's 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 not the tradition, the traditional rainbow. They've actually changed it. And it probably has some specific meaning that I don't even care to know. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating uh, analysis there. Thank you, Robert, for sharing that with us. I, I gotta say, it's not the right thing. Um, for them to hijack the flag, it's not the right thing for them to, you know, take it and do whatever they're doing with it. Um, and I, what I would like to see them do, what I'd like to see all of them do is just pick something else. The flag, the, the, it's just, it's dumbfounding that this is what we're dealing with. Um, that we don't get a chance to kind of change things over and put it into a light that is accurate this is perversion. We shouldn't be flying flags to celebrate perversion. Sorry, you know, not sorry. Uh, so let's go to, so you might've heard that John Dean has gone before the 
uh, Congress, Representative Jim Jordan actually was questioning him today. And what's funny about him being there is that he's actually a criminal himself. Yet he's a part of the kabuki theater that the Democrats are putting on to try to make it as if there's an actual impeachment that's going to occur. They know they're not going to be able to impeach the president. They can't get it through the Senate. But they will continue to interview people to say horrible things about the president of the United States and anyone who's associated with him. So um, let's listen to number five. The gentleman from uh, Ohio, Mr. Jordan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. At a memorial event for David Hamburg, Speaker Pelosi and I had a chance to discuss impeachment. Mr. Dean, who wrote that? I did. 19, uh, excuse me, one month ago, May 11th, 2019. Haven't we been too long in not giving Trump a meaningful moniker? Should it be deranged on, deadbeat on, demagogued on? Thoughts, please, comments. Mr. Dean, who wrote that? I assume that was mine. It was yours. 19 days ago, May 22nd, 2019, there was this. We are witnessing Trump's massive cover-up of his criminal behavior as POTUS. He's incapable of accomplishing anything. Mr. Dean, you know who wrote that? I suspect that was me again. It was you. I want to focus on that last sentence. As POTUS, as President of the United States, he, Donald Trump, is incapable of accomplishing anything. When you made that statement, Mr. Dean, what did you have in mind? You thinking about the 3.2% economic growth rate, uh, rate we had the last quarter? Thinking about the fact we got the lowest unemployment in 50 years? How about the fact the hostages are back from North Korea? Maybe you were thinking about this. When you said the President of the United States was incapable of doing anything, were you thinking about the fact that the embassy is now in Jerusalem? So he then goes down this list of the President's accomplishments. And you got to love Jim Jordan because he just... He does not play around when it comes to uh, have people coming before his committee and lying. He just he relishes doing his research and then taking you to the woodshed. Now, the clip is about six or seven minutes long, and I will definitely post it online if you want to catch it for yourself. But I just thought it was instructive that that's how he started out. And it didn't get much better for uh, John Dean after that. It, this is what has to happen when. Leftists try to put their little old criminal, criminal selves, and no, I'm not saying all leftists are criminals, but that guy is. When you try to put his little criminal self up there as a credible witness, they couldn't find anybody else to come before their committee. If that's the best they've got, then he deserves to be raked over the coals. Not physically, metaphorically. Raked over the coals. Yes, I said it. So now I want to pivot over to Kellyanne Conway. So, Okay. She's always awesome. Like she's always got way more to say than the minutes they allocate for her time slot whenever she goes on, whether it's, you know, CNN and her fights with Jake Tapper um, or, or any of them, any of them that she goes up against. She's just like a buzzsaw. They don't even see her coming. And, and they should know she's going to come on there and do that. Um, now, here she's in friendly territory and she's talking about Nancy Pelosi losing control of the Democrats. And this is so important going into 2020 because. The way that the Democrats can get as close as possible to to possibly taking back the White House is if they are one unit marching together in 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 unison towards a goal, which is winning the White House. They can't do that because Nancy Pelosi, no, she has the gavel still. She has the red coat from wherever that fancy coat was from. She's got the looks the you know, the, the outfits, all that stuff. Access to the media. No problem. But she's no longer in charge of the conference. Check it out. It's number one. 
And it's owing to the president's leadership, Secretary of State Pompeo and Vice President Pence. They really hammered out a great agreement with Mexico. And there are new features to this because look at uh, the last week in May. We had apprehensions of 5,800 people or crossings of 5,800 people in one day at the border. Mm. If that happened every single day, you'd be close to 2 million illegals coming this way uh, just this year alone. So Mexico took the president's tariff threat very seriously, and they're starting to take enforcement at their southern border seriously. All right. So listen, Nancy Pelosi is just, you know, so have you ever been in a situation where you start out and this, this reminds me of the conversation we had this morning at Bible study, which I'm, I will try to share as well. Okay. Okay. So two things. First of all, have you ever been in a situation where you start out, let's say it's like a project or something. I'm thinking of something pretty specific for myself, but let's say it's a project. You start out and everything looks good and you've got, you know, you've got your plans and everything's all laid out. You've got a timeline, you've got a budget and you're just going to do this thing, right? You're going to do this thing. So you get started and everything is going according to plan until it isn't. And then all of a sudden, one part of the plan that really didn't seem like it was a big deal has erupted into a major stopping point where nothing else can get done. So you have to address this problem. And the problem is expensive and it, it's potentially budget busting, derailing the rest of the situation. So just like three or four nights before you had your head resting on that pillow and you were thinking beautiful thoughts and you knew your plan was awesome. And now the plan is kaput. It's busted. There's no way you're going forward without another infusion of cash or a miracle um, or someone who will do the work for free. And all you're thinking about is just that few nights ago when everything, nothing had happened and you didn't, you know, the train wreck hadn't occurred and you just, you want to almost go back there. You're just like desperate to just maybe, can I get back there? Is there any way I could go back? I mean, how can I, how can I make things work still. And I just have to kind of imagine because Nancy Pelosi does like to have things in an orderly fashion. Yeah, the Democrats are wild and, you know, crazy and, you know, it's like a wild, wild west over there. But it's like that on the Republican side, too. How many times have we had things that were supposed to happen, like the repeal of Obamacare, for example, derailed by rogue Republicans who refused to participate in the process, even though they promised to, they'd run on it, they'd raise billions of dollars on it, but they just wouldn't do it. It is what is happening, that that description of what I just described is what is happening to Nancy Pelosi, but on a scale that is just, you know, at least one magnitude, order of magnitude greater than what, what anything we can even like fathom. These three new Congress people who've been given this outsized uh, bully pulpit by the media, Ilhan Omar, marrier of her brother, Rashida Tlaib, cursor extraordinaire, and AOC, uh, barista slash business school graduate who never saw a balance sheet she could understand. The three of them have literally derailed any possibility of Nancy being able to put together a winning agenda. And, you know, that's that's part of what she does. That's part of the reason why she was able to whip together the votes and bring people in who normally would not want to support her for the speakership. What she promised was, I've ushered this conference through to victory on the presidential side before, and I can do it again. I can get together our disparate factions of individuals, and not only will I get them underneath the tent, but I'll get them to the boardroom table. We'll all sit there, and if I have to, I'll strong arm them into agreeing with our agenda so that we can take back the White House. 
She also inferred when she was, you know, remember when they were, it was a lead up to them voting on who would be the speaker and she was the presumptive speaker, but she had not yet actually been voted in. And she made a couple of statements to the media. She said, um, you know, I don't foresee impeachment in the future. I won't rule anything out, but it's not something that I see as being on the agenda of the Democrats moving forward. Do you remember that? I, I remember it like it was yesterday because shortly after that, the president even said out of all of the people who were contending for the speakership, he would prefer to see Nancy Pelosi. And I took that as, you know, we'll be adversaries, we'll joust, but I've donated to your campaigns before, Nancy. You've been to Mar-a-Lago before, Nancy. You've been to Trump Tower to the Golden Penthouse before, Nancy. If there's anything we can do, it's cobble together an agenda where we can work on at least one or two things. He even said on infrastructure on infrastructure and cobbling together a deal for the dreamers on immigration. I think there's some room for us to negotiate and possibly come to some agreements. So she gets the speaker's gavel. And then before she can start horse trading and wrangling with these people, the three new Congress critters step up to their podiums and begin to tear down any possibility of her actually doing that. So she thought, well, I will go and make a good, you know, a few good you know, comments, a few, a few statements here. I'll keep, you know, I'll keep doing a few things. I'll keep saying a few things in the media to kind of send out these warning flares. I'll send out a few warning flares. I'll make sure these people understand that when it comes to the business, I am the business, right? That's, that's Nancy. She's the business. So she did remember she went to a conference and she said, um, there are only three of them and there are many of us. Uh, some people don't understand how the, the levers of power work. Remember, she made a few statements and they were directed at those three. But what the, the three did was, you, have you ever seen a toddler out in the, in the Walmart or someplace and the mom starts counting backwards and the toddler just throws their head back against the linoleum and keeps on kicking and screaming like that counting ain't working on me. You better come over here and pick me up and I'm gonna scream all the way out of here, but you're not buying anything today or you're gonna buy that, but you're gonna listen to me scream the whole time. Have you never seen it go down? That is what we are watching. Nancy Pelosi is the mom counting down. And those three are, they, they don't care about her counting. They want impeachment. And it's not just those three. It's uh, Jerry Nadler and, and others. They're out there. They've got the monetary backing from these rich, uh, what's his name? Steyer, Tom Steyer. He's out there pumping money into anybody who wants impeachment. Look, I never thought I'd see it. To be, to be perfectly candid with you, I never in my life thought I would see a day when Nancy Pelosi could not make Democrats do what she told them to do. It's a stunning development. I don't feel sorry for her, though. <laughs> All right, when we get back, we'll have John York from the Heritage Foundation. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I'm asked often what my favorite part of the Holy Land tour is. And that's like choosing between your children, right? That's very hard to pick just one uh, place to see or to visit that's the most special. But to me, uh, it's the boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, I guess, is number one. That's just a very special day because you know that's exactly where Jesus was, the Sea of Galilee. We're seeing the same terrain that Jesus saw. But there's so much more to our visit to the Holy Land, our trip there in March 2020. We'll go to Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Jericho, Nazareth, 
and on and on. If you want more information on the tour to Israel, go to twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. How many cherries should be in a frozen cherry pie? In case you're wondering, the Food and Drug Administration has regulations governing the number, the weight, and the kind of cherries that can be placed into a frozen pie. The reason I know this is due to a decision by the FDA to deregulate the cherry pie market. Raymond March of the Independent Institute goes into some detail about the numerous regulations concerning frozen cherry pies. Not only do the regulations mandate the percent of cherries by weight, but also mandate the percent of cherries that may be deemed to be blemished, and there are even regulations that define what is considered frozen, what constitutes a blemish, and even how much crust must cover the pies. President Trump pledged to eliminate a significant number of FDA regulations. The regulations surrounding the cherry pies illustrate why this is important. Corporations like Sara Lee are in the business of producing food products that consumers will buy. If their cherry pies have too few cherries or don't look good, people will stop buying them. They don't need the FDA to protect them with pages of regulations. The FDA should spend its time regulating drugs and other medical products that consumers cannot easily evaluate. Bakers and food producers often accept and even promote regulations that may give them a competitive advantage, but not in this case. Lee Sanders of the American Bakers Association was hopeful that the cherry pie standard will finally be revoked. You know it is time for regulations to go and even special interests want them eliminated. He also acknowledged that deregulation would not make a big difference in the industry. That's because consumers and the market system will keep bakers and food producers accountable. If you don't make a good cherry pie... People won't buy it. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, check us out at onenewsnow.com, urbanfamilytalk.com, and afr.net. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome John York to the program. John is a PhD. He's a policy analyst at the B. Kenneth Simon Center for Principles and Politics at the Heritage Foundation. Frequent guest of the program. Super fun to have you on today, John. Thank you. Great to be here again. So let's talk about this. Electoral College. What do we need to know now? I feel, I feel like, like stuff that's already supposed to have been settled, everything's unsettled again. Yeah, it, it does feel like that. So the Electoral College... Uh, really, ever since 2016, Democrats have been pretty upset about it because Hillary Clinton, is, as everyone probably knows, won by a slim, slim margin the national popular vote. She got the most votes around the country, but she lost the Electoral College. And uh, as is probably pretty clear to everyone, <laughs> after hearing upon hearing after hearing, the Democrats haven't quite gotten over their loss. So this mm-hmm. is really another way of kind of focusing on the rules of the game and changing the rules of the game rather than changing their approach towards areas of the country that they seem not very interested in appeasing or even listening to. 
So let's 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 unpack this a little bit more. I have read a lot of stories about. Um, well, first of all, one quarter of the entire population of of California um, is thought to be illegal aliens, and they give right. illegal aliens uh, driver's licenses and things like that. And so it is not out of the question or beyond the pale to assume that there might have been some voter fraud or illegal voting going on in some of these states where Hillary Clinton won the popular right. vote. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a fair assumption. I mean, people, Democrats will often say, oh, you know, it, uh, there, there isn't any voter fraud. There's no cases of that. Of course, A, there are plenty of cases of that. Our Hans von Sikowski has found a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and they're cataloged by him here at the Heritage Foundation. But also, it's difficult to find voter fraud when you're not looking. And a lot of the times, uh, it, it's just the FEC has a difficult time uh digging up the documents and going to the you know diff- going through the difficult process of of rooting out cases of voter fraud that doesn't mean it's not happening it'd be kind of weird to assume it didn't i mean a lot's on the line during an election and given that it's pretty hard to detect voter fraud it's pretty hard to imagine that people don't engage in it yeah i mean the stories i've seen it's been as benign as you know someone moving and voting in the place where they, the new place where they live, but then when they're home on vacation, they're being an election and they vote in that too. <laughs> so, you know, right. home on their old home. So it's as benign as that, or it's cases where people have been shown to have voted in multiple locations and it's intentional. They literally say, I, I had to make sure that, uh, I remember one person said, I, I had to make sure that Barack Obama had a chance. And so she voted in multiple jurisdictions and yeah. she was convicted. The The fines and the actual punishments are really, really light. It's like a wrist slap, right. $120 fine, no jail time. You know, sometimes they don't even get, um, like the fine is suspended. So I don't see people getting prosecuted in ways that are a deterrent for election fraud. Yeah, it's a huge problem. I mean, that that's something that needs to be, be addressed. And, and what would be better is instead of going after people on the back end, which should be done to deter people, uh, on the front end, ensuring that people have to provide a real sort of identification, <laughs> a photo identification to vote would be a first step. I mean, allowing people, and the Democrats want to do the exact opposite thing, which tells you exactly who they think is going to benefit from voter fraud. And the, all you have to do is just Look, look where the Democrats stand, and that, that's a very clear indication of, of who stands to benefit. And they're wholly, wholly, wholly against any sort of uh, check or review or investigation of who's supposed to be voting where and how many times. So they, let's they, talk they win 100% of the dead person vote, I think, almost yeah. every election. Oh, my they, goodness. They, they have that cornered. Right, right. So just imagine, because I went, so I, I caught some um, of Bill Maher's been on a couple of shows. He went on Chris Cuomo's program and he said a lot of things that I, I so I, you know how it is. I'm sure this happens to you too, John. You, you're sitting there and you're listening and you can feel your face or your neck get hot. You're thinking, <laughs> I, I, I can't take it. I'm like, I could, can I make totally. it through this interview? And so that's how I was feeling. And he, he literally said that even though we have high employment, and that's a good thing. Look at the jobs that people have. People aren't really employed gainfully because they have to have more than one job, which I just said on the show, maybe it was yesterday. I don't even know what day it is. I said in the past 72 hours, I said, our son wants to work 32 hours at his summer job. 
he can't because of Obamacare. So he needs a second job. My son is not unique in this aspect. He's working at entry level because he's only 18. This is what Americans are going through. Is that because of Donald Trump or is that because of Barack Obama, the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Harry, Harry Reid and their Obamacare law? But he's blaming that fact that people need more than one job if they're in the in the entry part of the market. He's blaming that on Trump. Right. Well, this is something the Democrats are doing on every front. I mean, they own a lot of this crisis. I mean, de- Republicans were uh, had control of Congress and the presidency for only two years. Um, I think it's pretty clear where they focused their energy on the tax cut, which it did prove to be a big benefit. And Trump has been deregulating. So to blame, <laughs> so to blame every aspect of the job market on him, especially when landmark legislation, as you mentioned, was passed under Obama seems crazy and is transparent in its motive, I think. And so the way that connects up to this whole electoral thing is the issue that they're having is that they keep winning the popular vote, but not the electoral college. And that's because, number one, Hillary didn't she didn't campaign in areas where electoral votes would have made the difference to her winning. And beyond her not campaigning, there's this huge thing, John, that they have going on, which is they alienate large swaths of the country. They called millions, tens of millions of Americans were called deplorables by Hillary Clinton. And then they doubled down on it and agreed that those people were deplorable. Since then, the the Democrats have said that white women are to blame for Trump being the president, as if white women don't have the right to vote for him. And that um, old white people are to blame for all of the problems in this country, even though old white people don't exclusively vote for Democrats. Yeah, it's it's a weird way of winning hearts and minds. (laughs) <laughs> uh, going after people and saying they're deplorable and blaming them for, I don't know, anything you can name, uh, <laughs> destroying the planet in 12 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's, well, uh, and insulting it, them. It's strange. They lose these people, and they, the, the lesson they learn is exactly, exactly the opposite lesson any sensible person would learn. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, it, it seems to be that the logical solution would be to do the opposite of what Hillary Clinton had done. Focus on the areas of the country you need to win and focus on the people who are really hurting that your your policies haven't addressed. Instead, they're doing the very opposite and running further and further towards their coastal elite base and uh, and trying to change the rules so that that is, becomes a winning strategy, which is, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> that would well, be terrible for the country. It would be, but I think there's even like, so for all of these different things, cause I, I, I call it casting around for a way to win. It's whether it's the electoral college or the national popular vote compact, which they're still pushing forward with that or the basically forcing open of the Southern border and leaving it open so that they can have people who are illegal come into the country or their refusal to address chain migration or revamping of our refugee type, you know, inflows. Um, everything that they're doing points to they, they talk about packing the Supreme Court. I know you're, you're that's in your wheelhouse. All of these right. things point to them saying, look, we know we can't win on the issues. We're not even trying anymore. We just will win by hook or by crook. And these are all the different avenues by which we will continue to dominate politics without providing anything to anyone. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, thinking institutionally is a tough thing to do. You know, thinking 
distancing yourself from your immediate advantage and thinking, what's the best institutional arrangement? Thank God our founders didn't quite know um, uh, how who would be in what party. There weren't parties developed yet. Uh, now it's almost, in every case, the, the advantage of the party you're in, at least this is true for Democrats, uh, ends up dictating how you feel about policy X, Y, or Z. Immigration. Does it make sense to have an open border? No, of course it doesn't. <laughs> Why do they support that? Oh, well, because these are going to be Democratic voters. Why do they support? Does it make sense for the largest, most populous cities to be the sole focus of any presidential election? Of course it doesn't. That's crazy. We have a huge country, and how long is quote-unquote flyover country going to stand for that? But why do they support it? Oh, because they can't win the Electoral College over the last uh, election cycle. And on down the line, I mean, it, 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 it's it's not so hard, you know? <laughs> like, there's a principal Occam's razor you you use you peel down to the easiest possible explanation. And the easiest possible explanation in every case is the Democrats support things that favor their party. That's it's really no more complicated than that. But what what does happen? I mean, let's let's play suppose it happens for a second, John. Um, what what does happen? Like let's say they were able to somehow cobble together two hundred and seventy electoral college votes out of states and get the national popular vote compact passed. Then what happens? Like, what what do Americans who are now disenfranchised, totally disenfranchised from smaller states, less populous states, their vote is now no longer one vote, one citizen? What do they do then? So, if the national popular interstate compact was to pass, so just to back up a second, those states that have signed on to that compact will cast their electoral college votes not for the winner of their state vote but for the winner of the nationwide vote overall, whoever gets the most votes in the nation as opposed to who gets the most votes in their state. If there's enough states that sign on to this compact, let's say 270 is generally the number if you have two primary, two candidates, then then, then whomever uh, carried the national popular vote would win, right? Because this this group of, of, of states, would throw all of their votes behind the winner. So uh, they've gotten pretty close. There's nearly enough states there at 189. Um, like I said, it takes usually 270 to win. Oregon State Legislature has has agreed to sign on to this national popular vote. They have seven. So that would make the national popular vote states 74 electoral college votes short of what they would need to swing an election. Um, so that would be very bad. If they were to get the determinative number of electoral college votes, then this uh, interstate compact would get challenged in court, for sure, uh, and it would be struck down. <laughs> because there's a clear, clear provision in the Constitution that says the Congress has to, uh, has to validate any interstate compact, and interstate compact is, is right in the name <laughs> of this proposal. Uh, but there's still a major danger because uh, getting Congress to approve a uh, compact between the states, a compact like this, is a lot easier than the route you would ordinarily have to go to get rid of the Electoral College, that is to say, the amendment process, which would be nearly impossible. So it's a big danger, why something to watch out for, but there would be a legal challenge that would like, likely strike, strike this down absent congressional action. Now, would you see... 
would you see the Democrats on the Supreme Court actually going against this move? Because it, even though the Democrats on the Supreme Court are, in my opinion, they're liberals, they're they're hard hard on the left. Even wouldn't this even be a stretch for them? I think so. I mean, the, it, it would be. I, I hesitate to give liberals good advice, um, but it would have been much smarter for the states to to be a little more. Um, uh, cloaked about their intents here. The fact that the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact has interstate compact right in the name makes it a pretty blatant violation of the compact clause in the Constitution, which forbids such interstate compacts, like I said, absent congressional approval. So I don't see how any clear reading, uh, clear and honest reading of the Constitution would allow this to proceed again, like I said, it's easier than an amendment to get a con- to get Congress to vote for something, just on a regular uh, majority vote. But um, yeah, if this went before the Supreme Court absent congressional action, it's a clear cut case, even for the Democrats, I would think. Okay, so the congressional action that you're talking about would be that the House of Representatives would have to take an action to to basically approve this action the the national yeah, popular vote and, and then it would then, have to go um, through the senate the, pre- the president would have to would have to uh, agree to it too so democrats oh. would have to have total control yeah <laughs> right. Right. right so first they have to win the white house and the house right. and the senate then when they have all three they have to bring forward the national popular vote compact interstate compact which is unconstitutional survive right. a court challenge to the supreme court and then yeah. congressional action that would be signed into law by that democratic president and still hope right. that the 600, 400 to 600 million uh, guns in this country weren't mobilized to basically just tear <laughs> this whole thing asunder. Is that, that what we're talking well, about and, here? <laughs> that's right. And first, they would have to get a few more states to sign on. And there's already, even though Oregon has kind of signed on to this, there are a number of Democratic states or usually blue states that have already um, not signed on. Nevada's uh, Senate, their state legislature wanted to join the popular vote interstate compact, and their governor vetoed it, saying that this could diminish the role of smaller states like Nevada, which is exactly correct. Maine's House uh, rejected the bill to join on. So the dem- so there's already, Oregon aside, sort of the, the tide is beginning to turn as small states look at this and say, ooh, this isn't just a way of sig- signaling that we're populist and we... We're, we're really upset about the outcome of the 2016 election. This could really happen. How would this affect our state? And states like Nevada are saying, oh, and Maine are saying, oh, maybe not so, maybe not such a great policy. I'm so glad somebody's looking at the thing instead of just signing on because Democrats brought it to the fore. You know what? You're always awesome. John York, Ph.D. policy analyst for the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> OK, I'm talk to you again soon. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with more uh, more Stacey on the right after this. She was a baby girl left abandoned on a doorstep in China. Our friends met her in that orphanage that had saved her life, and they adopted her. And believe me, she's not an orphan anymore. There are a lot of folks who have felt orphaned for much of their lives, either left behind or left alone. Maybe you know the feeling. Well, just like that little girl, someone went a long way to get you. Someone who chose you. He's adopted a lot of spiritual orphans into his family, and he's ready to adopt you too. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
we've been cut off from the Heavenly Father by choosing to run a life that He was supposed to run, so we feel spiritually fatherless. But God's Son came all the way from heaven to that awful cross to pay for your sins and give you the chance to be His. You can belong to Him by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. It's something we'd love to help you do. Call us at 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com. You will never feel orphaned again. Eight Days of Hope needs volunteers to help families hurt by severe flooding in Fort Smith, Arkansas. The first day of serving families is June 13th. Visit 8daysofhope.com to let them know how you can help. Here's 8 Days of Hope President Steve Tiber. We're looking for people who just want to serve others. You know, you don't have to be super gifted. Every disaster gives an opportunity for a believer to share a glimpse of Jesus Christ. On a moment's notice, your life can change and you don't know what to do. And all of a sudden you get a knock on your door and there's a dozen volunteers that have come from all over the country. And homeowners usually, uh, they just start to weep. They're so blown away that volunteers they don't even know would come to their house to help them. That's the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Volunteers must be 18 years or older. Food and lodging are provided. Be a part of assisting flood victims in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Learn more or sign up at 8daysofhope.com. This is House Call for Health. There's good news in the war on cancer, but that good news comes at a cost. Nearly 17 million Americans are alive and coping with a diagnosis of cancer, and death rates have been falling over the past 25 years. But the treatments can be very expensive, even for patients with health insurance. The American Cancer Society, the National Cancer Institute, and the Centers for Disease Control looked at the doctor bills and found that cancer patients pay, on average, $1,000 a year in expenses not covered by insurance. By comparison, people who don't have cancer have an average out-of-pocket expense of $622 a year. The report finds that many cancer patients find themselves going into debt or filing for bankruptcy. And the authors note the financial burden can cause psychological stress, which is the last thing a cancer survivor needs. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Anna Eliopoulos. Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, I think they just can't let the president have a win. I mean, I think the cold hard reality is, even though not, almost none of my members were enthusiastic about the prospect of tariffs, you have to give the president credit. It worked. The, the threat of levying tariffs on Mexican goods coming in. Uh, clearly got the government's attention down there, and the president deserves applause, not condemnation, uh, for the outcome, which has a, a good chance of solving this crisis at the border. His other problem, you, is is uh, congressional Democrats who will not let us uh, pass a supplemental appropriation to deal not with the wall, but with the humanitarian crisis down at the border. We passed a supplemental uh, appropriation a, a couple of weeks ago dealing with storms uh, that, you know, in Puerto Rico and Florida, and Alabama, Georgia, Nebraska, Iowa. And we tried to add to it a, a little under $5 billion for, to deal with this humanitarian crisis at the border. And they said, we won't pass it if you do that. So the president had two problems here. One was the Mexican government. He solved that. Now it's time to try to solve uh, the problem with the Democrats. They need to step up because even the New York Times said, give Trump the money. We're talking about the humanitarian crisis at the border. Wow. So um, apparently 
That was Leader McConnell, by the way, if you didn't recognize his voice. Leader McConnell, Republican from the great state of Kentucky. Um, he's a Senate Majority Leader, and he says that he was just expressing the truth about, you know, there, there's not, not support in the conference, the Republican conference in the Senate for tariffs. And interesting, Jeannie Partridge, who is a listener on the program, she actually chimed in a bit ago about how she sent an email to Senator Roy Blunt, and he replied that the tariffs are a basically a tax on Missourians, Missouri farmers, Missouri constituents, and that he opposed them. Um, now, this doesn't mean that he specifically would have gone along with a, an attempt to uh, force the president not to do the tariffs, but it sounded to me like they were kind of sending a warning shot out like, hey, you know, if you decide to do this, you're not going to have our support. Um, in any case, now Mitch McConnell is congratulating the president on making a good deal uh, with Mexico, but it remains to be seen whether or not Mexico will actually follow through. They're really great at agreeing to stuff. Now, I think it is important to note, as, as has been noted by the different audio bits that we've had here on the show today, that they sent someone up here immediately. They got, they got some, uh, Jane's, some, <laughs> some jet smoking hot, pardon me, some jets, this jet engine smoking hot and got themselves up here so they could have a chat. Awesome. That's what we want. But in the end, the rubber meets the road when we see the 6,000 troops, when we see the utter, like, we're not talking about, a, a oh, let's slow down a little bit, it's 1,000 less. No, we're talking about stopping it. Stop the buses, stop the caravan, stop the invasion. If it doesn't stop, the tariffs should go on. And I, I don't mean the president tweeting at like 3 o'clock in the morning and then the tariffs going on in six months. I mean, they should just be, they should just look up and be like, well, we just didn't have time to send the people down there, but tariffs are on. It should literally be, you know how it is when, when they do something electronically to your bank account or something like that? You just look in there and it's already done. That's how it should be. They either comply or the tariffs go on like that. Boom, tariffs are on. Now what you gonna do? I know you ain't saying anything because you promised, uh, you promised. And if you... Don't answer your promises, then we're going to put on the tariffs like we promised. How about that? So, um, I wanted to I wanted to give you guys one more thing. Okay, so a few people asked about um, donating, you know, supporting the show, etc. Especially when we were talking about the website upgrade, which is something that has really been a, a kind of bane of my existence. The web the website upgrade, it's just not happening, you guys. Um, it's just hard to find people who will follow through and finish up um, and get, get stuff done. So, uh, but anyway, I have a PayPal donation link that you can click through. I put it on the live stream on YouTube. I also put it on the live stream on Facebook. And I will also put it up on the Facebook, like a post by itself. Also for t-shirts, you can always click through to Teespring. You can find that link if you want t-shirts or mugs. That's on StacyOnTheRight.com. It's a post there. You just scroll down, click on it, takes you straight to Teespring, and you can purchase, and the stuff comes directly to you. People are now receiving their items that they've ordered, so it's pretty cool. Um, and so John York, PhD, when he was on the program, he mentioned the Interstate Compact. Now, you know what's so interesting about this? Because I was, I was Googling it or binging it while he was talking, 
is, of course, we all know about the interstate compact. We learned about it when we were in high school. But these are the kind of things that you forget. Like this is not stay top of mind interstate compact. You're not thinking about the interstate compact. You're thinking about what you're cooking for dinner tonight. Um, but I wanted to give you just a brief little summary of it because it's so awesome. It's Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, the Compact Clause. Now, if you look on Legal Dictionary, the freedictionary.com, it says, the clause was meant to protect the supremacy of the federal government. While this general principle, with this general principle as guidance, courts interpreted the clause to give Congress the power to nullify an interstate compact if it frustrated federal aims. But I like to go straight to Heritage, the Heritage Foundation. They always have really great answers on there. And it's great to get it from there because, you know, you can kind of hold that they're, they're willing to be held accountable for what's on their website. Like they're, they're, they actually monitor it, police it, keep it up tight. Um, and they have a definition on there. And oh, before I forget, because I'm, I'm trying to race through everything before the end of the show today. Um, I got an email from a listener who says that their employees at Kroger, Kroger, the grocery store chain, have new aprons that they have to wear and the apron has a gay pride patch on it. So one of the employees, according to this, refused to wear it, confronted her manager. The, the manager said, wear it or quit. And so she quit. This is at the Kroger. So when I'm asking for the listening audience, we got a, just gobs of listeners in the um, Kroger portion of the country. Because Kroger's, we actually have them in Missouri. We just don't have them in our major cities. They're in the smaller cities around Missouri, which I didn't realize until we went down to a smaller city. And I just drove by. I'm like, is that a Kroger? Because we used to stop, shop at Kroger when we lived in Florida and Fort Walton Beach. That was my grocery store was Kroger. Um, so anyway... If you know anything about this, would you mind emailing me about it at stacyontheright at gmail.com, emailing me a picture perhaps, um, anything that you know about it. I Googled it, at, well, binged it. I don't use Google. And I didn't, and I didn't see it there. I don't see any stories about Kroger employees um, being forced to wear this apron with the gay pride patch on it. If you've seen the apron, maybe you work at Kroger, I will not say your name on air, but just I'm looking for someone to show me some, some images um, and to send them over so we can check it out. Um, okay. The Heritage website is actually, like, it's gummed up. I cannot get there. And I, that's the one I wanted to show to you. Um, oh, okay. Well, I'm not sure why that's not coming up for me right now, but I did give you the information. Um so we talked about that, the, the, the donate button, the Kroger story. Um, uh-oh, here we go. One Million Moms, my producer's awesome. One Million Moms already has an article and petition for Kroger and Gay Pride. Let's go there now. I want to give you this info before we leave. Okay, so this did come up on Heritage. We're going to hit this all super fast. It says the interstate or the interstate compact clause, just compact clause, actually. No state shall, without consent of Congress, lay any duty or tonnage, keep troops, or ships of war in time of peace enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Article one, section 10, clause three, boom, interstate compact. It's garbage. It's never going anywhere. All right. So the next thing I want to kind of go over is the one, one million moms.com. Um, they have the story up about the, and hold on a second. I'm going to get this right now. 1millionmoms.com. Here we go. 
pre-populated for me, guys. Um, so they have moms are you fed up with the trash of the media? Um, oh, they've had some some Lucifer went up in smoke. M Pastor has been canceled. Oh, I haven't been here on, on this page in a little bit. Um, let's see. Kroger is loud and proud. Sign the one. Mil- Why would Kroger want to destroy their business like that? You know who's shopping at Kroger? I've never been to a Kroger and seen tons of people dressed up in rainbows, but I've always been there and seen gobs of individuals with kids, moms and dads shopping for kids and families. So, oh, this was from June 6th. I mean, sorry, June 3rd. Um, The 1 million moms petition, sign it now. So this is what I want you to do. Listeners, we need you. I need you to go to this website, 1millionmoms.com. It's on the slider at the top of the website. Click and sign the petition. I will post it in the comments to make it easy on folks who are live streaming. Um, And I'll put it on the Facebook page. Um, 1millionmoms.com. They're reporting Kroger company announced it earned a perfect store on perfect score. Pardon me. On the 2019 Corporate Equality Index, the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's national benchmarking tool for corporate policies and practices supporting lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer employees. So the annual survey assesses non-discrimination, workplace protections, yada, yada, yada. Um, They say it's a very proud moment for them. Wow. They even posted a letter celebrating Pride Month and... They deliberately avoided including the words gay, lesbian, human rights campaign. They omitted them. You can also call Kroger store managers and ask a few important questions. Pride for what exactly are you celebrating? What kind of rankings? What kind of events and parades are are Kroger sponsoring? Now, right now, the petition has 9,196. Now, we're sitting here. You're listening to me. I'm putting my name in. It lets me pre-populate, put my email in there and everything. I'm changing my email to my work email because that's the one I want to get updates from. Let's see. Come. There's my postal code. And submit. Okay. So come on, guys. Let's get this petition actually full of, of names. Kroger is a place where we're supposed to be able to go and just buy food and household, like house stuff. We're not supposed to have to go there and fight culture wars. So don't you feel like this is something that the left has really done to our society? Everything's been politicized. There's no room anymore for you to just just kind of kick back and say, I'm, I'm unplugging. Yeah, you can, do, you can unplug in your backyard or in your family room or your living room or whatever. Um, you know, you can, go, you can go swim maybe someplace. Well, actually, no, you can't, not without getting political because a lot of these public swimming places – you can change with men now. Like there's no place where the left hasn't kind of said, we're going to make you participate in what we're doing. And it's exhausting. People just want to have some time where they don't have to deal with this stuff. And the grocery store should be one of those places. You should be able to go to the grocery store and not have to confront the manager or the, the grocery store checker and say, why are you wearing uh, the flag of uh, religious oppression? Because that's what it is. The rainbow flag represents the LGBTQ ETC agenda of crushing Christianity in public life. That's really all that flag means right now. 
So if they want to put that flag in your face, you have to say, I'm not, I'm not buying my food from you. You know what I'm saying? Just like you got to take that off if you're checking me out. That's what I would say. Or it looks like I just wasted 20 minutes of my time filling this basket up. I'm gonna have to leave this basket here for you and go buy my food someplace else because I can't have you putting that in my face while I'm paying you money. That has to be where we are. I know for some people who are listening to the show, you're in a, a, you know, you're, you're in a part of the country where you don't have a Walmart on every corner like we do here in the St. Louis metro area and, you know, 50 different options for buying food. I have everything from um, the, the Save-A-Lot to Aldi to, you know, I just have to pick what part of the area I want to go shop in and then go there. And there's multiple options for that. There's even private uh, grocery stores here, one called Straub's, which it's expensive as I'll get out. But they have this cool, like, old-timey system where you can open an account with them. And when you come in to buy groceries, you just say, oh, put it on my account. And they, they know your name. And they put it on your account. And you pay your grocery bill every month. <laughs> so, I, obviously, I've only been there a couple times. I don't actually shop there. But it's it's so expensive. But... We have every option, but if you're living in a part of the country where you don't have a ton of options and you've got a Kroger and a Walmart and we're currently running boycotts of each, then it makes it difficult for you. And they're, they're by no means are we legalistic in asking you to do this. But I just, I think having more people sign the petition would definitely be helpful because that would show Kroger that we have a lot of people who actually oppose this. And it's exhausting, I know. But please don't become discouraged. Do not become weary in well-doing, for if you do not faint, in due time you will reap. God is not a man that he should lie. He cares about us deeply, and he wants us to stand up and be firm in our resolve to be his people. So the minute you think you're getting exhausted, just get your little water or whatever your drink is. It's coffee. It's hot tea. Maybe you like Sprite, whatever. Sip it, send a prayer up, and keep it moving. God bless you. Have a fantastic evening. I'm Stacey Washington. Stacey Washington.